begin by talking about the importance of the ancestors because it's, it is important that we recognize and, and build from a framework. Uh, Sister mentioned that we need to listen to what we're saying and then think about it and, and try to apply it in our, in our lives. What up, what up, beautiful humans, and welcome to the timely, the taut, tangy, titillating, tawdry, did I say tawdry already? Nope. Tappy, taffy, takeout, world life of a dancer. I am the tall Melanie Green. Oh, okay. And I am the um, tantalizing Jay Bowie. I just want you to know that I wrote tantalizing first. Anyways, I am the <laughs> I am the toddler loving Christine. Hey. Uh, I am the terribly terrific Jeremy. And I am the tentacular Troy. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy to be here with y'all. Oh my gosh. How y'all doing? I'm in sensory overload and very full. On what food or love? Child, I wish it was food. Sensations that are not what is it? Oral? I don't know if I should. Whatever, y'all know what I mean. Words. So this is going to be a very uh, confusing wordy thing for me today. Just so y'all know, and I appreciate your support and your compassion. My brain is very much today. I mean, I hadn't offered it, but I'm glad that you already appreciate it. <laughs> but I know you will. I know, right? Christine here with the support always. Melanie is fine. Thanks. I got you. Absolutely. How you doing, Christine? I'm good. You know, I'm excited. I have a performance this week, so that's exciting. Um, and I got a new car last week, which you should never do during a Mercury retrograde, but that was that made me happy. And I'm eating chicken. I like. I love how you just like threw a bite in. <laughs> um. I actually think chicken would make me happy. That's actually a good point. Thank you, Christine. Good old nice. You so. You so welcome. Jeremy Troy, how y'all doing? Um. I am nothing makes sense in this new world. So I'm just in a place of submission. I am submitting to nothing making sense. <laughs> I, I appreciate you saying that submission. I mean, there's like a beautiful space to be in to release and allow, right? And that it's not passive. There's still activeness in submission but as a choice, particularly in this time. Again, y'all give me all these good nuggets. Thank you. I love submission because it, it really 
it's become synonymous with ease for me. It's like I'm submitting to whatever. I'm just letting. Mm, yeah, thank you for that, Jeremy. <clears throat> it's real. Oh, excuse me. Well, that's going to have to be an episode because I didn't meet myself. How are you doing, Troy? <laughs> uh, I am um, feeling more energized than I have in a long time. Um, just the, like psychically, it just, I feel a little bit more like, I don't know, if things, I just feel more possible today I was like I wanted to do like I was like I bought those beets and the carrots and I was like I'm gonna make the greens which I never do and I just did it and I was like oh that was so easy I made a decision and I did it and I feel like that hasn't happened in a while (laughs) yeah how about you Jay how are you doing um I'm doing all right I feel hopeful which I journaled a little bit about today I was really nice to feel like oh this is familiar. It's been a minute, but this is familiar. Um, I feel grounded. I specific. I caught some election things the day on like November third, I think, the on Monday, and that sent me through an anxiety situation. And then I was able to come out of it by the time um, Biden was projected or announced as president-elect with Kamala Harris, um, and. It felt good to like not even be in the anxiety of it when the news came. Um, So that was really helpful to have to like arrive. I really like woke up, hadn't had any thoughts about it. And then my friends Andrew came in and they were like, oh, Biden was just elected. And I was like, oh, cool. And then 30 minutes later, I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) It just took a minute. So it was, that was really helpful. That was part of the plan. I'm I'm just happy that it really helped my anxiety not like really run me. as it could have. I saw a sneak peek and it got me a bit, but I'm back grounded. I just want to say like that, that is super important. I did the same. I was actually traveling during the whole election thing. So I made it, I made a a conscious effort not to look at it. Also understanding that I would find out either way from my parents or just from like the activity on the street. So just actually using different ways of tuning in and listening that wasn't social media or scrolling the interwebs. but uh, interesting, Jay, as you talk about the elections, one of the other things that I was like, you know, I guess we'll get into this in the episode, um, but also wanting to uplift uh, a lot of the other wins that happened um, this week, including um, Senator uh, Sarah McBride. I don't know if you've heard of, of her yet, the first uh, trans person to be in um, in office, I think in the a senator out of Delaware, and then also Corey Bush, who in Missouri, who did a lot of amazing work um, from the ground up was in terms of in Ferguson and Black Lives Matter, also getting in the House of Reps. So there are some like you know pretty interesting gains, and in, including Kamala, who is multicultural, and uh, we'll see what happens and happens with her. But yeah, I think real it's, quick. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, did you have a history for our future or is or can this be part of it? Because I was wondering if we could just kind of name the wins that we know as the history for our future, as you did, and continue on. Let's do that because I don't have one. I did not I did not have the time to create that. So thank you for seeing that. Y'all see how things happen just like that. <laughs> just like that. Like that, like so. Okay. Um, you had another thought, too. I cut you off. 
No, I'll get into it in the main episode because I'm feeling okay. a bit tired. So that's real. That's real. Okay, so um, what other I w- uh, what other wins can we share for this history for our future, 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 future segment? Um, and I the we can like do a round robin way of going um, until we feel like we got them all. And I think the one I just want to throw in real quick is I just want to shout out every black woman. Period. Like, I don't even know, like, just through time, through the existence of humanity, because we have literally gotten here as a nation of people through this election because of the local groundwork that Black women have been doing throughout this entire, like, Trump administration, so on and so forth. It's not even, like, I want to say specifically Stacey Abrams, I'll just say Stacey Abrams down there in Atlanta fighting um, voter suppression or in Georgia fighting voter suppression, but not just that it was, we were in an era of like black women showing us the way for at least like 10 years. Um, And the fact that we see Kamala Harris coming out to Mary J for her speech and speaking on like HBCU values and what she learned there and to be an AKA and to just, make sure that black women were seen and heard in this like there was no apology here i think we got there because of all the individual artistic community local work that black women have been doing in this country so i want to say thank you yeah also that the whole squad got reelected. got alexandria ocasio cortez elon omar ayana presley and rashida talab talab i think i'm pronouncing that wrong um, and uh, four other women that that worked um, alongside or with Stacey Abrams are Nisei Ufot, Helen Butler, Deborah Scott, and Tamika Atkins. Um, so just getting all those names out there, just following up on what you said, Jay. Um, yeah, pretty incredible. Absolutely. Um, Jeremy here. Uh, Prop 17 uh, was passed in California, which restores the vote to uh, formerly incarcerated peoples, which is a big, uh, a big win when we're just thinking about, again, voter disenfranchisement. Uh, and then also Oregon decriminalized all drugs, period, um, which is, again, just like pushing us forward in terms of thinking about a world of decriminalization. Um, and the laws and policies that are in place that intentionally disenfranchise and affect uh, poor people um, and uh, Black people, communities of color. Um, so those are just two two other ones that I want to lift up. I did not know Oregon decriminalized all. That's just lead the way, you know? Like, that's exactly yeah. what we need. That's exactly and New Jersey legalized marijuana. I think there are a few other states too. I wonder that, I wonder what that means for New York. We'll see. You know, I think that the last thing I heard about, last thing I heard, the last time I researched um, marijuana legalization in New York, I think many of the black and brown um, policymakers have been pushing against it until they can 
make sure that the legalization also comes with like expunging records and like really healing black and brown communities. So it's in the space of like being decriminalized to like as they work it out. And I was like, I actually really like that. I'm yeah, let's like push it, like let's hope New Jersey pushes it forward, but also like let's keep on with that sentiment as well. Totally. Yeah. Um <clears throat> I have a friend, um she's amazing. Her name is Chelsea Higgs Wise. Um she has an organization called Marijuana Justice. Um and in Virginia, she lives in Virginia and does a lot of uh marijuana justice work here. And Virginia decriminalized marijuana, but definitely also pushing for legalization. Absolutely. Because that can happen so fast. Speaking of fast, I think it's also important, especially for our listeners, to also name the things that didn't go quite well. So again, we could be thinking about the, the ongoing work that we're going to do. Like, for instance, I, I heard that in California, they did not pass Proposition 16, which would have restored affirmative action. Also, there was some type of, Jeremy probably knows more about this, about um, not supporting gig workers. And then also in Louisiana, they um, voted that you don't have, it's a cost, you don't have a constitutional right to abortion, which then affects federal funding toward uh, clinics. So basically it's making it extremely difficult for folks to get that service if they so need. And so it's yeah. really interesting that in like 2020, again, this is what I, I brought this up earlier uh, offline, but like this idea of um, conflicted consciousness or like, uh, you know, I don't know, just like people having conflicting mm-hmm. views on like what fucking makes sense. I don't know. Like we're in 2020 and like these things are still like, how can you vote against this shit? So just to name um, that this, that this kind of thing stays on our radar because we, we cannot let it slip through the cracks. At all. Got to keep our foot on their neck. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, thank you for bringing those things up. There's a lot of the elections brought in a lot of different local and state government policies or changed them and shifted them and it's and you're right a lot of that happens I know I learned that a lot of that happens under presidential elections because you put so much energy in the media about the president and then you get to pass a bunch of fuck shit essentially under the radar where people can't even really get up in arms about it because the media stream is so overwhelmed with someone like Trump yup good point yep so yeah let's do that let's keep amplifying those things I gotta learn. I really want to learn more about the gig worker thing in California too. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Christine. that's. Um, oh, sorry. Go, Christine. It's all good. I'm following the flow. You can go, Jeremy. Uh, just to speak to Melanie's point. Um, so she's referring to Prop 22, which is which was essentially um, put on the ballot to recognize. Uh, Uber and Lyft and rideshare drivers as employees instead of independent contractors. Um, a lot of that's coming from uh, essentially like anything that happens related to coronavirus. It's springing out of like a lot of things happening around coronavirus. Um, but uh, like Uber and Lyft are not responsible to take care of their drivers in a way that a company is responsible of taking care of its employees. Um, and so, yeah, it's a loss because it basically just uh, continues to uphold that. Lyft and Uber don't have to like if a driver gets sick and can't drive sorry it's on you um so still working for worker justice for sure yeah I have to say that I was 
incredibly uh, frustrated with my voter experience um, <laughs> this go round. Um, in Richmond, I have a lot of organizer friends and we all were really um, pushing for Alexis Rogers to be elected mayor of Richmond and it just didn't happen. I mean, some other, you know, losses or things we have to continue to work is the, you know, we did not decisively flip, flip the Senate yet, you know? Um, yeah. And, I'm, at, you know, I'll talk about this later too, but it's just made me sort of, you know, not want to wait for these elections to happen to create the future that we want to live in. <laughs> yes. Because it yes. just, I mean, I yes. think both have to happen. Um, yeah. And here's what I feel like is interesting, and we need to keep uplifting this, is that a lot of the the change and shit that happens in our country is, is again, from the ground up. It is from people movements. It is from them putting pressure on, po on policy and on politicians. Like, I was even hearing that even with Roe versus Wade, that passed because there, there were so many people putting pressure to make it pass. And that it took that and, and the country not wanting to see a huge upheaval to um, make it possible. So uh, I agree with what you're saying, Troy. It's like, how can we really, you know, really start to support um, a system that is for the people, is for the folks who um, are living it and are affected by it? And not wait, because again, that's like, you know, a lot of my friends were talking about like, there is no grace period, sorry. Like I had some friends who were like, I'm gonna be in DC next week, regardless of what the outcome is, just my message will be different. But I'll be protesting still. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting that like, I, I'm thinking, uh, Jeremy, what you were saying at the beginning about, forget the word that you used, did you say surrender? Um, what was uh, the word submission. you were using? Yeah, submission. Submission. The thinking about like, the submission of like, okay, this is where we're at, you know, and finding the like, like, okay, critically, like, where are we at? And then finding what we can do now. I don't know, just I, I like that word, and just how how it can be used. Because um, I think I've done, I've, I've had this feeling of like submission or surrender, where it's like, well, that's just how it is. And it just never, I don't know, I think that's, that's a lack of agency to be like, oh, that's how it is. And I feel like that strongly, you know, from my dance training, <laughs> like, well, that's just the way, you know, that's what it's like in the real world. I feel like that's what has been said to us so often. And how do we, um, yeah, take back our agency uh, through elections and also through, through tentacles, through our relationships with each other. This is Troy. Melanie here. And again, like you're saying, I mean, you won't have to wait for some of it because in New York City, a lot of the council member seats, I think it's over 20, will be up for, um, will be open in 2021. So I think a lot of us are also now putting our energy into that upcoming, you know, it's a lot, there's a lot of people who will be responsible for a lot of the local policies that are made. Um, so. Yeah. So like, are those people already, like they know who they are, like the people who are running and they've probably been working on this for a few years. Like they are, mm -hmm politicians that's how it works right 
No, some of them, like for instance, we're keeping a, a growing, like New York is for culture and arts, we're keeping a growing list of the people who are wanting to run in certain districts, like say for district 13 or something. So some folks we don't even know. And I think, you know, it just, it depends on how, how wanted that seat is, how active that neighborhood is or that district is. Um, so yeah, there, I think it's a yes and. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've connected with some people um, during the uprisings in the summer that were like, hi, I'm here protesting and I'm planning to run for a council person um, in 2021, which was like, okay, cool. Let me make some connections um, and, you know, give my card out and see. Because I was like, I, the dance union is um, like an organization we're connected in the New York City dance landscape. And I think it's important that we do have as artists have connections to um, the local politicians and uh, and be invested in the local politics itself. Because as we see, when it comes to like fighting for workers' rights, we are workers and being able to um, have the ear and have genuine relationships with people who are in the rooms making decisions like that is gonna be advantageous for us. Even if we don't get things that we are looking for, just knowing how the system works um, and having an authentic relationship with it is something that I think should no longer be seen as like, you have an artist life and then you have a politician life that you don't have to look at. It should all be connected and informing one another. Absolutely, Troy here. Um, it's, uh, and it has to do also with like how not-for-profit status, uh, not-for-profit um, is constructed. Like you're not allowed to be political if you have a not-for-profit. So there's that, like we've been trained as artists to kind of separate those things. Like the not-for-profits have to be not partisan. Um, so that's, that's an actual like muscle that we need to use in it when we're outside of our like not-for-profit work. I don't know. It's something that's been set up. And there's also some type of law where, I don't know, sorry, I don't know the specifics, but it's like you, we have to be very careful on how we advocate for certain things. Like it can't have like maybe a dollar amount attached to it or like the specificity of a particular view. But again, these are like lobbying laws that are like convoluted and confusing. And it takes a lot of people to sort of decipher and figure it out to help uh, nonprofits understand what they can and cannot say legally, right? Again, it's like, it's, it's another system and a tool to keep people, I feel like, oppressed and from speaking their mind. And, and, and again, mobilizing. Totally agree. This <laughs> is red tape. For sure. Yeah, okay. At, um, yeah, wow, this was, Thank you. That was a really juicy history for our future, 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 future. future. Um, I can't wait to listen back onto this um, and however far in the future we go to and listen to what our concerns are now and what changes have or haven't been made in the future. You know, I think that's what I'm really appreciating about the segment, Melanie, is that it's really um, going into a system of like plant some seeds so that we can look back on what has grown. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is Jay. I'm messing up my own rule. I'm supposed to introduce myself. Hi, this is Jay. <laughs> um, yeah, let's get into our main segment, which is basically the same conversation. It's just from a different angle. Um, 
Melanie said that uh, in our little twerk team group chat that we should definitely have a podcast, which is this one. Um, doesn't matter where the election swings. It's just important that we do come together and talk about strategizing um, long-term activist movements for body and movement practitioners going forward. Um, so that's essentially what's on the table for this main segment. What strategies long-term should we be looking towards, asking for, planning for, um, given the current Biden-Harris potential landscape moving forward. Yeah, and I also say that this is, feels very important and, and top of my heart right now because as a movement practitioner and using my body in, in the work that I create, also understanding what it means to then also put that same, my same body on the line in protests and other and in the streets and different forms of um, advocacy work and wanting to have a sustainable practice so that I can do both. But like, um, it was hard for me to even be celebratory yesterday because I immediately thought about all the work that still has to be done. I think Jay, you mentioned this before where you were like, you know, we're still gonna do the work, but the landscape in which we can do it on will be different depending on who gets into office, but the work will still be, has to be done. Um, and so for me, Biden-Harris is sort of a harm reduction, but it doesn't negate the all the harm that's still present. So. And I don't want to. I don't want to be so defeated and exhausted before shit is even sort of kicked off. So I, I just am really. I guess I'm really also just uh, reaching out to my community and y'all to sort of help me sort of uh, strategize and figure out some ways that I can continue uh, supporting and taking care uh, to get the work done. Yeah, Melanie, can I jump in and share something that just came to mind as you said this? Um, this is Jay. Um, I think the exhaustion that we feel is important context to know before we begin to do work. Like, I think that's something to um, really look at, really sit with, really experience because why we are exhausted is yeah. informative for the work that we need to get done. Um, and I know sometimes it can feel like yesterday, there was a lot of hope and joy in the in the in the world in the streets. Like Brooklyn was trending on Twitter. Like when Brooklyn's trending on Twitter for any reason, like you know it's lit. <laughs> so <laughs> Brooklyn was trending. It was because it was out here in the streets, and that joy and hope was here. And I and I was like, like kind of like itching over my shoulder, like a sense of kind of dread. Like this is this is a wonderful moment, and we are far from like a really big victory that we're looking for for our humanity. Um, on this globe, you know what I mean? Like we're really fighting climate change and uh, crises that are global in this moment. So this election is definitely like a breath of fresh air of hope. And that exhaustion was setting in. And I was reminding myself that like, okay, Jay, don't, don't be, a, don't be, don't beat yourself up for feeling exhausted while everybody's partying in the streets. Ask yourself, why are you exhausted? And I was like, I'm exhausted because I haven't actually felt hope since like March something and probably even really before when, when Trump got into office like the like what was I was like look at this wonderful feeling I journaled about this morning like hope it's crazy I haven't had, felt that in a minute so that I think the context is important for us when we feel exhausted um yeah thank you for that I mean and I do think it's important to so again as body practitioners it's important for us to take note of where our body is and what we're feeling and why we're feeling it in order to make choices of what's next and I'm also just understanding and realizing that for me it's also mental like I think I mentally 
it may have been just a thing of like you say hope too like once you sort of have an ounce of hope you just all of a sudden realize how much hope you did not have and like the energy that it took to continue to move forward in a space that felt very dreadful and I just I feel like there's also something mental going on for me that's like informing the fact that I couldn't really celebrate yesterday like I was in full support of everyone celebrating I was like yes we should be doing that I need to be doing that and I just couldn't I was so like at a zero. So just noting that. You know, Mel, I mean, I also felt the same way, but I, it also felt intentional to me. Like it felt like I'm not celebrating this shit. This isn't enough. Like this is, a, this is good, but it isn't enough. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of like strategizing and thinking about how we move forward, um, you know, my, uh, a colleague, League of mine brought up something really important which was like I feel like there's a lack of analysis of like the Democratic Party and like how they actually do the things <laughs> um I know in my personal experience like I mean I didn't grow up hearing people around me talk negatively about the Democratic Party and what they actually do and one of my organizer friends was like y'all know anti-racist organizing funding dries up under democratic leadership and I was like "Ooh," I was like no I didn't know that talk more about that history (laughs) right and so I feel like we have to you know really keep an eye on our friends and keep an eye on people who are you know uh our leaders actually I should say um in politics you have to hold them accountable and really make sure that they are um directing us in the direction that we want to go in um it's interesting too because i'm i be doing a lot of abolition research with my peoples and i don't know it makes me really uncomfortable that people don't want to use the word defund the police (laughs) um i feel like for me and the people in my circle and my age group defund the police like is the language is fine but it's like that language has to transcend folks who are under the age of 40 you know what I mean so I don't know under the age or over the age of 40 I'm sorry it has to transcend folks who of all ages period (laughs) yeah I I think you know it is really important that I'm thank you for bringing the Democratic Party into the conversation because again I think that's why a lot of my communities are rumbling is about a third party because really if you look at the Republicans and Democrats there's not much difference other than their uh, symbol and colors they're both funded by Wall Street. They're both, they, you know what I mean? And it, it just, they're very slick about what they can pass or not pass or what they, what they get through. So, and actually I didn't even know or think about how anti-racist work drives up into the Democrats. It's actually a little frightening. And again, this is why we need to be, we need to know. And Christine, you're right. Like, I feel like particularly in black communities, there has not been a critique or questioning of the Democratic Party. There's just like, well, we're just glad to get, you know, a black president. We're just glad to get a woman. We're just, but it's like, but we need to also look at what they're doing and what their records are saying. Um, and if they're actually really supporting a lot of like working class folks or not. Cause if you look at it, they ain't. So. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Christina and Melanie. Um, I think there is, there's like, we're getting into something. This is Jay that I think is really important is about like this two party system. And I feel like in order for us to really change the two party system, we have to 
we have to destroy the model of um, polarities or dichotomies or like opposition because there's so much in our society so much is positioned as oppositional to something else that our like joint collective American society, our consciousness is looking for. This is the good, this is the evil. Here's the left, here's the right. Everything is so oppositional. So if we throw in something third, it it challenges it for sure. We need that challenge. And, and we're pushing up against not just the political system, we're pushing up against our art as well. Like looking at movies like Star Wars um, and Avengers, Endgame, um, there were a few other movies that came up during Trump's administration that was specifically like the people rising up against a large, like the rebellion rising up against this large like fascist force. Um, and I think that was really helpful for us showing up to the polls. I think some of y'all might've seen that like that video there, they put, you know, all the different political leaders on their head. I think it was really genius, but I think that is like, I think that is so much more married together than just a funny video that like our society was moved together to understand that we have a collective that we need to unify with one another to de to defeat this foe. But the only other thing around that that we're not questioning is this idea of that, that we defeat something that is personified or we defeat people who are on the opposite side as opposed to something that I think is more akin to our shared humanity on this planet and in this universe that things are just inherently connected <laughs> you know like i think a third party system is important and we how do we get people how do we get our society to see outside of that red versus blue left versus right good versus evil absolutely thank you for bringing up jay the pop <laughs> the like culture references and um you know, I just found out recently that even our use of the word left and right comes from like French government when like folks who are sitting on the right were, were with the king and folks that were sitting on the left were against the king. It's just so like, how are we keeping on to this, this language? Um, yeah. And also the, the idea that I, I don't know, I've been watching the Mandalorian <laughs> and it's like, yeah, oh, these people are coming together and it was like so beautiful and they're coming together so that they can like kill something else. <laughs> and I'm like, what, can't we, like, aren't there other reasons to come together? I don't know, I think even even beyond the like, the third party, I mean, yes, I think that we should uh, abolish the two party system for sure. And my worry is if you add a third party, does that just split up the democratic party so that then, you know, whatever, that's that's the thing that people talk about. Like, so then do we need four parties in order to actually do this? But then are we just like multiplying the binary? I don't know. <laughs> but just this idea, like, can't we just all get together and like heal the planet? I don't, like, I think there are bigger problems that we could actually come together through cooperation than through competition. I'm just a bit over it. It's so tiring and boring, to be honest. It's just boring. It's like really going to use the same tactic to everything. You're just going to shoot it. You're just going to shoot everything. You're going to explode the tornado. Like what? I just don't, I don't get that. I think there, like, yeah, there are two good points that are sort of being, are floating. And that one, the first one is this idea of humanity. So thank you, Jay, for bringing that back into the space of like, at the end of the day, if we stop looking at binaries, we're still all people. And also noticing like, you know, Unfortunately, there was not a huge repudiation of Trump in this election, which a lot of us really wanted to see. 
Um, and then also there were like millions of people who didn't even vote still, you know? And so like, what are, what's going on with them? What is, um, you know, what are they thinking? And also for the ones that did vote in favor of him, of Trump, it's like, I'm curious, like really what, what about that person? Or like, I'm like, for me, I got almost got, like, I was a little sad. I'm like, you're so either full of hate and anger or that you're so worried for my humanity to be recognized. That means that you lose power. That's sad. If you think that, that is really sad, right? So I don't know, but then I, I started to see them as people and not like my foe, but like, I don't know. I feel like it's extremely complex and complicated. And then the other thing just to put in the room is like, I was just thinking again, like, why are we talking about this? Like, why is the dance union talking about this? And it is because like, we're artists, we're dancers, we're, we're creative people. And a lot of our work speaks to the shit that's happening. And that's what art does. And that's what's floating all over Instagram with these different amazing videos is like, this is what this is creatively what it does, and this is how it can translate to different people in different spaces, and and sort of provide sort of movement, and that's why we need to keep our pulse on it. Yeah, Melanie, I have an idea, strategy, long term strategy. Okay, it's literally coming off what you just said. So we know because we are artists that art moves the world and humanity waves like every time it does we see it we witness it we study the craft of doing that which is why we are artists we're also completely underfunded and i think when from the 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 way that our united states government is set up what does not get funding what does not get money is they are essentially undervaluing and, and and therefore trying to like hide and trying to like let die and wither away they want the arts to wither away in many forms of them. And Democratic Republic doesn't matter. They don't really fund the arts as much as they should. And that's because we make the things that change humanity to enlighten them, to see that the system is a crockable for what it is. And it needs to change. One of the things I think was really hopeful for me in, in looking at Biden and um, Kamala is that they're both on the cusp of Scorpio. They're like both on like, Biden is uh, is definitely a Scorpio November 20th going into um, Sagittarius, but Kamala is, I think her birthday is like October 21st, 20th or 21st, not 22nd, I would have remembered. <laughs> so definitely a custody too. But this, we have a lot, Scorpios in general are ruled by Pluto, our government, United States is under a Pluto return in Scorpio. So we're going through a lot of change, a lot of death, a lot of birth, a lot of renewal. And I think they understand that going in. I was listening to the speeches and it sounded specifically like Biden was like, I'm here to be a transitional president. I know he didn't say that, but it definitely sounded much like I'm here to help us move from this place to the next place. I am not the hope. I'm not going to be the savior at all. And it can't look like me. I know you didn't say that specifically, but since he did it, since, you know, you have to read between lines these speeches, you know, um, I think a strategy is that we get together as artists and really push this government to fund the art that is meant to heal our society in the direction that we all know our society needs to heal. Like, it is imperative that we become embodied beings and we are rewarded and, and I mean, in this government, we are rewarded and we are 
um, funded for embodied practices because that embodiment as a nation full of embodied people, we can then pick up on when politicians are on the stage just lying through their teeth and not saying things that are even close to true because part of the thing that like the Trump followers have is that they don't have that embodied knowledge. They won't really believe it. Not just because it's, it serves them, but like as a disembodied person, you don't get to pick, not a disembodied person, when you are not disembodied, when you are disembodied and you're not embodied, it's hard to pick up on when someone's being genuine, when someone is speaking with like emotional intelligence, when someone, you know what I mean? Like all these different things, I think we can really arm and help our American society heal through the arts. If we fund art that is intentional on restructuring our America in the direction I think is gonna be most healthy for the masses. And also just to expand that out, it's like, you know what? Cause also I wanna be very, I'm thinking about like applications that ask for that kind of thing. You're like, well, here's the thing. I feel like work can do that also without explicitly saying it's doing that. Cause again, but we're also taught to sort of uh, see between the layers of things you know like even abstract work is not abstract like there's there's a lot of information in that and it's and there's there are ways in which you can you can see what the pulse of the culture was at that time but you also have to know how to look at it so yeah I, I agree with you we should get mad funding way much more funding to support this this sort of wave of archival this wave of, of embodied healing um, and then also give jobs to the folks who are going to help interpret it for the folks who don't want to take the time to. Christine, you got it. You need some time. It's coming. It's just that, like, you know, I just hate when I, I'm doing that. I'm hearing the voices in my head that are like, artists always asking for money and da 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 right? And so I'm trying to quiet that voice and really frame this in a way that folks can understand. Like, don't nobody question why nurses get the amount of money that they get. Don't nobody question, you know, the fact that, you know, depending on what field you're in, like the consultants can make, you know, $2,000 an hour, you know, or nobody questions why Lars make what they make. And it's like, if you... I'm hoping that we're in 2020, we're at a place where like as a society, we can start to recognize the need for healing, that we can start to recognize the, the value of like reinstating our humanity because we are under this oppressive system and that it is in order for that to happen, the artists need to be funded. Like in order for the healing to be facilitated, like you have to fund the facilitators like of the healing and like, even though we aren't the only healers, right? Like there are other healers around who also should be funded. But, you know, I just, uh, I, I get in a lot of conversations with folks who are confused as to why I don't do work for free. And I'm just like, do you know what kind of work I do? <laughs> Anyways, all I is that I have a lot of personal life like learning about the land that I'm on and like you know I'm on Monacan Hominipolitan land apparently and like learning about all the different battlegrounds this is really a this is really a deep left tangent to bring it back to sort of like the politicalness of it like um if I'm not being funded <laughs> I think though you're when you said you you have voices like right now that you're trying to sort of be in conversation with about artists always asking for money. 
actually, I think that's a very important thing. That's a very important topic to talk about, about why we're taught that, who is actually saying that. And then again, how to sort of uh, massage and I don't wanna say unlearn, but like provide an alter, like another voice is actually tells you why that's actually not true or tells you why or why that is the case. If we were funded the way we needed to be, we would stop asking for fucking money. But it's like where we are in, we are in a system that really likes to benefit off of the, the work and the labor of artists and not compensate them for it. And then also it's funded in a way that will suppress certain voices because they're like, okay, we're gonna let some of you eat through, but not all of you, because we don't want you causing revolutions, right? Because if you look at art throughout history, that's what it can do. That's 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 sort of uh, the mechanism of it. I always come back to um, stepping left and like the, the work that they were doing and using dance and movement as a way to support protests for for movers and non-movers alike, right? So there's a reason why that narrative is in your head. I think it's important to to like name why. I also just want to say one more thing too, which was like. I watched, what's that movie called? Chicago 7, what's it called? It's on Netflix. Anyways, I watched it. I was like, wait, was this shot in 2020? <laughs> and, you know, I, I asked the question of, like, why do movements end? Like, why do movements stop? Why does the work get snuffed out? Like, why do we get complacent? Why do we get complicit into the system? And, I mean, the answer to that question is really sad. Um, but you know they really harm people who are trying to make change in our system. Um, anyways, I love that you said that, Christine. And actually, Jeremy, go ahead. You haven't spoken. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, this is Jeremy. Um, uh, lots of things were swirling around as I was listening. Um, it's making me think about. Um, so I was in conversation with Murder Mommy over the summer. Uh, she's the footworking queen uh, coming out of Chicago. And she shared a story about how um, at parties, whenever cops would show up to parties um, to break it up, she was like, we would just go and start footworking in between the cops and party goers. And it was just this immediate like energy shift of like, we're not even gonna allow this energy to affect our vibe. Um, and so this idea of movement practitioners as healers, as um, standing in the gap, protecting our communities. Um, I think there are also ways in which that can happen without, uh, what am I trying to say? I'm curious, like, what are the ways that that happens in which we trust the community to support us and hold us? And we support that there's like a symbiotic relationship in which, you know, like, I don't need to rely on money coming from someone else. Because also when we're talking about funding, I feel like a lot of times we're talking about funding coming from outside of the community. And so it's like relying on someone outside of us to essentially validate with financial resources our work and let us know that our work is important, um, which also leads me into this long-term strategy, with two long-term strategies. Also, another thing that I think uh, that I, when I think about being in a process of making art, I think about um, the moments in which I don't exist in this world, right? 
um, the moments in which I get to spend time really imagining other forms, other ways of existing and moving through space. Um, I also think that happens in the club, right? Uh, like I, I cannot wait for the other end of coronavirus when we can gather and dance and commune um, and, and for brief moments experience ecstasy um, and experience collective and communal joy. I think also that's part of what the magic of yesterday was is that there was like a glimpse into or a reminder of the power of communal joy and collective ecstasy and, and how that shifts energy. Um, but the last, the last thing that is coming up for me, and I was doing some writing on this on Friday, is that like long-term strategy, I'm divesting from whiteness. Like I'm divesting from whiteness, I'm divesting from capitalism. And part of that is also realizing that every time I speak it, I'm manifesting it. Every time I give power with my tongue, I'm manifesting these institutions and these structures to still exist. And so what are the ways that we can start to collectively divest from these systems, right? Like kind of back to what Christine was saying, like defund the police, right, is unsettling to some folks. How do we repackage that? How do we communicate it? How do we reshape and revision and reimagine the language around it so that we're able to at least engage in conversation? Um, you know, with the federal mandate right now um, against anti-racist training, right? Like that is directly affecting our efforts at the university I'm attending, right? Like we cannot set up any sort of formal anti-racist training, even though we know it's desperately needed. Um, and so it's like, okay, great. So then let's just not call it that. We just won't call it anti-racist training. And then we can do it. Like, like, what are the ways in which, you know, what are the ways in which our tongue continues to tongue tie us? <laughs> what are the ways that we are continuously tongue tied in our struggles toward equity and justice and what we know should be and could be true for all, all of us? Um, and so what does long-term collective divestment look like? Um, you know, it doesn't happen tomorrow. But we, we can chunk it out into, okay, I commit to first learning history, right? Like really remaining curious and learning about our history. Um, there's another story, but I won't share because we only have 15 minutes. But, but yeah, I'm just, I'm curious around what divesting, uh, what divestment looks like. Yes, Jeremy. And like, I'm obsessed with this reframing and the renaming and the, and the, uh, I don't know, like taking off the wrapping paper that it's in and putting on a new wrapping paper. Like that's kind of like the imagery that comes to mind when you talk about, you know, calling anti-racist training something else. Like what, what else is it? You know, is it humanizing engagement? You know, whatever it is, like whatever the words are, right? And I mean, you actually brought up something that's really tricky for me, Jeremy, because when I think about when I think about the system that we're in, like my attitude actually isn't that y'all validate me by giving me money. It's that y'all owe me this shit. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a lens of reparations. You know, I feel really uncomfortable actually asking my community to support me to the extent that I need the support. I'm actually like, actually y'all motherfuckers over there owe me $5,000 for this project and $10,000 for that project. And that's just how I carry it. Right. But you know, I also think that 
you're totally right in that presently my community also is able to hold me, you know, and I, I think that both are true and I think that both should exist and all of the stuff in between. Um, yeah, I just wanted to get really excited about the language and yeah. maybe we can sit down and write all of the remixed words. <laughs> for sure. and really quick, yeah. if I can just speak to that, Christine, this is Jeremy, hearing like, yes, you owe me, like, you owe me, right, reparations. And also, if we move into a space where we accept that, like, that just might not come. It's making me think about forgiveness, right? Um, like, there are some apologies that I am owed by some people in my life. <laughs> and I might never get them. But that, so Sonny Patterson, spoken word artist coming out of New Orleans, Sonny Patterson once defined forgiveness as I am forgiving up a former notion of myself to make space for the newness to enter into my life. And so, yes, they owe us reparations. And the more we continue to hold on to those reparations without any sort of action from the other, from the people who owe us the reparations, we are carrying that burden. They are not. Because they're still living their rich lives, doing whatever they want to do with their money. You know, I, and, and it's not to say it won't ever come, but it's also thinking about what are the burdens that we are carrying, that we are holding, that might not ever be taken off of our shoulders by anyone else. And what does the work look like to actually say, you know what, you do owe me. And here's how I forgive you. And I make space for a new way that we will coexist together in the future. Yeah, I hear that, Jeremy. Uh, this is Jay. I think there's a yes and to this as well as, an, as a Black artist because funding, funding work, funding projects that do the work in the communities that it's placed in is... is it is a way trickier game than you ever think it is before you started, <laughs> you know, trying to fund a project. You think you got it and then you really start getting into it and you realize, oh, I need more money for this. So I'm not paying these people enough. I'm not getting paid enough. This project actually needs this. And then I think what Christine, I appreciate what you were saying is that like the, the community that our work is for um, already a lot, a lot of times have burdens and under-resourced in ways that like supporting our work to the extent that it that is really valued at is also um, a challenging thing when we actually integrate ourselves in the community and see like where the resources are not at. Also like I what I'm also hearing is like stop waiting for white folks to be your savior like we're not actually we don't we don't need the re their resources or their work to do the work and and also there are, I don't know, there's, it's, it's a complicated statement. I don't, there's, there's a lot of nuances in what I just said. I think we can, we, we can just, we can do a lot of things at once. Our ancestors didn't, um, did a lot of work for us to be here thinking of these things and planning for these things where they didn't get to reap the benefits of any of the kinds of reparations that we received. And rep I'm saying that with like a, you know, a very loose definition of reparations. We can all look at certain things as reparations if we choose to. Um, but yeah, the, I think the, I think the, I guess I'm, I guess I'm trying to say, Jeremy, that like, I, I see the burden of like looking for something that may not ever come to us. And I also 
see that same act from another perspective where our ancestors fought for things that we that they didn't think would ever happen that we are literally beneficiaries of um so i'm thinking about like what can we be doing in the in the now that we may not be benefiting from in this lifetime but that someone behind us can benefit from as we hold systems of oppression accountable to its own destruction <laughs> like that's what you're here for to be destroyed Troy, there is also something um, that I think you were going to say. Oh, I was going to say so many things, but I'm so excited about what Jeremy said about <laughs> divesting from whiteness and um, the long that the long term of that. And I'm thinking about what that looks like. I've been working actually yesterday. I had my first meeting with a mutual aid organization in my neighborhood. And they're talking about tenant organization. They're talking about like, well, they've been doing kind of groceries um, runs for folks. They're talking about childcare. Um, I'm thinking about single payer healthcare in New York. I don't know. I'm thinking about all those ways of divest of investing into our communities, which to me feels like a divestment from white supremacist cultures uh, structures that we uh, currently operate in. I've also been thinking about what Melanie said about like having a movement practice. I think Christine was also talking um, about like why movements end. And I think something that Jay and Melanie and I spoke about a little bit on the episode that we recorded together was when I was reading Emergent Strategy, she talks about, Adrian Marie Brown talks about movement work. And I remember as I was reading it, I was like, oh, I know movement work, like I'm a dancer. And it took me a while to realize she was talking about like social justice movements, but it made me think about how those are the same words. And it made me think about momentum. And so it made me think about like initiation points, points of initiation and like, why does a movement end? And how does another movement get started? And it needs, from my understanding in my body, it needs like communication within your body. It needs ease. It needs um, strength and and coordination. And it needs, you know, it needs all these things that we know as body people. And how do we um, use that knowledge in a in a greater sense? I love the the idea of people doing footwork around the police officers. Like we we know we know we have that spatial awareness. We have that like. I don't know, that curiosity and creativity and like an action, like it's a doing. I don't know, I'm just, I'm excited about the, the actually taking that metaphor to the extreme um, of yeah. the knowledge that we have as, as artists, as, as mover practitioners and how we can use that in larger movements with the same words. Yes. I fully agree. Oh, that's good to the fullest extent. Yeah, um, I think. Yeah, I think uh, one of the other strategies um, for you know for the long term is to uh, like foster relationships with organizers, um, like that are like in your community. Um, You know, folks are very inspired by the words of Adrian Marie Brown and. Angela Davis and you know I think that um being well read um is important but I think it's also important to like find the people in your community that be organizing the things and like yeah (laughs) collaborate with them if you feel inspired to do that sure 
you mentioned words by Adrian Marie Brown, and I remembered that Sonia Renee Taylor said something that I think has been like one of the most poignant statements for the pandemic. Um, so I'll just read it so everybody has it in their ears. Okay, get to listen to the smooth sounds of Jay Bowie's voice. <laughs> um, Sonia Renee Taylor said, we will not go back to normal. Normal never was. Our pre-corona existence was not normal other than we normalized greed, inequity, exhaustion, depletion, extraction, disconnection, confusion, rage, hoarding, hate, and lack. We should not long to return, my friends. We are being given the opportunity to stitch a new garment, one that fits all of humanity and nature. Yes, um, yes, yes. Right? She said that. Also, um, I just saw right before the podcast on her Instagram page that she was walking through a neighborhood and saw these exact words on a building, like just written, like not written, but like, you know, she's like, I've gotten to the point now where my words on the building. So put Black women's words on buildings. Um, and uh, with that, we're going to go to a break. <laughs> Hey, y'all. Thank you so much um, for checking out our episode of the Dance Union Podcast with the Torque team. Um, and a special thank you to our Patreons. Nope, our Patreons. Our patrons on Patreon. Um, you and your generous offerings support for the Dance Union helps make episodes and podcasts and projects like this happen. So want to give you a special shout out. And if you are not yet a patron and you're interested in being a patron, go to patreon.com backslash dance union. It'll be in the description box wherever you're listening. Um, you can shine up there. You can give from anywhere to like $2 to as much as you want to per month. That'll just help keep places like this alive and the projects that we do alive. So thank you so much. And we have a uh, also say like we have our president-elect Biden and our vice president-elect um, Kamala Harris and we are not out of the weeds yet so um, you know we had our joyous moment we can still be celebrating in joy and the work is just beginning because we still have to get Agent Orange out of the office and we have to get to inauguration before we can really say that we are in the landscape um, that is going to be better than the landscape before in any margin or degree to do the work that we um, are organizing on. So um, the work is going to make itself apparent to us when it presents itself. So just like the nap ministry says, rest, rest, nap, sleep, eat, drink water, sleep, stretch, shake, let it go. Because when the work shows up, we're going to have to move and you're going to have to have the energy to do it. That's a throwback. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, let's get back that, into our program. Is, is that the sound bite? You're going to put the sound bite right there? Stretch, shake, let it go. Breathe, stretch, shake, let it go. All right. And we are back to the Dance Union Podcast. Uh, we have, for our first time, a listener letter. So let's get into it. You know, you know, I just want to say thank you all. We've actually gotten a few messages about things that aren't specifically podcast related, but this one was specifically asking podcast. So look, come on, we're about to do it. Let's jump into it. I'm excited. I feel like the read. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm keeping um, the name of this 
um, letter writer anonymous. So let's call her Geraldine McNash. So yeah, Geraldine McNash emailed and said, hey y'all, I hope this note finds you as well as can be expected during this time. I'm reaching out because I have noticed something that's a part of a lot of recent conversations and I thought I'd bring it to you to see if you have interest in discussing it. I'm a 31-year-old white woman who now primarily works in arts and administration, but have worked as a dancer, choreographer, and dance educator, and still continues to engage with each of these personas. While, again, my primary work is now in the category of staff, quote-unquote, I do still identify as a dancer, and I try to bring my experiences from each of those other work identities into my primary responsibilities now so that I can ensure I'm not losing sight of the needs of each stakeholder involved in decision-making. My position isn't quite so many dance, my position isn't unique, there it is. So many dance workers engage in this multiplicity of work identities. Yeah, I'm aware I'm not telling you anything new, but what I often see in recent conversations is a staff versus dancers binary, one that often negates that staff have the perspective of artists in their experience. I wonder how we can make a space for conversations around using all the viewpoints in our respective artistic and our administrative positions to bolster the field as a whole. Not saying I have any answers, just wanted to posit it as a potential podcast topic. So thank you so much, Geraldine. What say ye? How can we help Geraldine and the rest of us out? Because I know we've been in many positions of like dancers versus admin and having been the admin or the dancer or the artist and being like, I see both sides. <laughs> I feel like there's also a clarity that's needed, which is a lot of the times I feel like we're in the middle of administration and dancers. Like there's a middle, there's a middle spot too, I think. And a lot of times administration does not support teaching artists in the way that they need to be to support the dancers, their students. So for me, it's a, it's a question of like administration. Like how is it? Cause like, I think sometimes administration will just be like, you figure it out. Those are your students, and which then puts puts art like that puts teachers in an awkward position. Yeah, I think this question is also not specific to teachers. Um, I think this is also like um, Melanie. We were talking about. I think you mentioned on other podcast episodes, but we we're talking about when you're working at another place and you were supporting a residency program, and you were getting a lot of heat from the artists, and they didn't understand the complexity of your role because you weren't getting support from this end but then you're also getting the fire from the artist end you know what I mean like I think that middle role is interesting um and I just want to expand it like it's, I think it's not only teachers yeah mm, teen teen here I think that it really um bell hooks I was I'm reading all about love y'all and there's a, a part of that book where she talks about how love in the workplace can really transform the space. I don't have the quote with me, but um, you know, I I in my notes of that in the in the margins, I wrote, um, I don't, I'm not using love as the language, I'm using care. <laughs> and so I think that like oftentimes when you're in that admin space, like you really just gotta do that extra care step. Um, to help facilitate um, an easygoing relationship when you feel like you are catching the heat. I mean, I. it's funny too, when we talked about this um, 
when we are generating topics in the um in our chat I'm like one that came up to me yesterday was I'm curious about how people who work for institutions are breaking the rules like how are you like challenging the status quo of your institution to really facilitate care and love and really to um divest from whiteness and push out the ways that whiteness manifests in the workplace um and oftentimes when Personally, when I met at an admin person, it's because they're embodying some organizational culture bullshit that doesn't support me. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Team Team. I'm going to just keep going back, Christine and Team Team. Um, this is Jay. I think there's also on the, on the end of the artist's um, I think a lot of artists aren't fully aware of the the way that the system that they're even working in, like they're, they're artists in residency program or they are employed in a company or they're teaching someplace or they're like uh, taking the, taking classes someplace. They're just not aware of the structure um, and how things move. So they often bring their heat to the wrong person um, because they just don't know. So I think transparency um, is really important and seeking it if you aren't in that administrative role where you can share transparency, but seeking it out as artists is, is helpful too. Yes, Troy? I, I totally agree, Jay, that uh, the transparent, because the artists, they should be able to know because it's clear, because it's obvious. An artist should be able to get mad and the only people that they can talk to are the people they have a relationship with. And it's important for the people who have a relationship to use the tools that they have to advocate for the artist. I don't know, it feels kind of simple to me right now. It's like, advocate for them. <laughs> that's that's kind of it. Yeah, um, go ahead, Christine. I was just going to say that um, recently I had to I actually told the admin person that I didn't want them to advocate on my behalf. <laughs> it's funny. This is crazy. Thank you, Troy, for saying saying that because um, I actually realized that I, in my practice, I have to move at the speed of trust with admin people. And like, if I actually don't have a relationship with you, don't fucking advocate for me because um, you don't know how to do it for real. So it's actually recently I had to ask an admin person to not step into um, conversations that I was having with a, with a space that I wanted to perform in and you know I was doing it with a lot of care and I actually think that the admin person learned something from me because I was like hey I know that we have this timeline but this person you know that I'm corresponding with like they need a little bit of leeway because da -da -da -da. like there was a whole scenario but like you know, the admin person ended up thanking me for having so much care in the endeavor. Um, but I just know that admin folks have a lot to balance in terms of um, uh, like what the expectations are for admin folks with professionalism and timeliness and just all of these things that really don't, um, I don't know, they really come in conflict with like advocating for artists and really caring about the people who are in the room. Um, so I think just yeah. like having a mindfulness of those things. Yeah, I agree. Um, Christine and Troy, especially around like advocating for artists. And I think part of Geraldine's question was around the skills that admin often have as being previously 
prioritizing the performance or the art making skills. And now they may have transitioned to being an arts admin person predominantly. I think in advocating, if you have the experiences of being an artist in the field, then you definitely should hold on to them, treat those experiences as really precious so that you can use that to inform how you advocate, as opposed to imagining that's a life left behind that you can't connect to. Um, and I think even more so in this current restructuring environment that we're in this country, um, the 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 fact of of an admin person's life is often just context for like if you have deadlines and timelines and things like that, that's context for the work that you're doing, and not everyone is going to be held under that same context. So. How do you communicate through your context to somebody else's context? Like at arts admin person to performers, like they have a different timeline, they're flowing. They're, it's just arts admin person to artists, like we're flowing differently. So I think the, the I get this note oftentimes, but like the urgency that is communicated with what you need to do to people who aren't fully aware of it is off, is easily misconstrued when you don't let people know the transparency of what's going on so that they can see that for themselves. So like institutional transparency is not just to like put your shit on front street. It's really so that you don't have to keep explaining things to people if they can just go online or go to the shared Google Docs or whatever and see what the overall timeline is. Like then they can see how big the project is and how their role fits into the timeline of when they're asking a question, like you can't beat up, or you can't beat up, not saying you can't beat up, can't get hard on people for not knowing something that they don't have access to knowing. So like give them that access to something they can understand what's going on in the organization. And also it sounds, maybe I'm misinterpreting or reading too far into it, but it sounds like she's saying that, or the listener is saying that the artists aren't trusting her or something and it's like well you kind of have to make that trust like Christine was saying like that's a that's trust building and you you just have to do that and I think that's along with transparency I don't know that comes I feel like it comes with the job I think her I think Geraldine's question was was that and like in the larger sense that this is something that is in our field in general like a, a, a miscommunication barrier between arts admin and the artists themselves in various capacities. Um, so how can someone who has experiences on both ends utilize their experience to support like the ease of workflow? Um, and just like, let that be a conversation. I would say like I've been, I'm often on both sides and I, and I see it, I get it. And I think that's where the transparency part has really helped. And like, oh, because I was behind the desk at Gibney, I know how this organization runs. So now that I'm on the other side desk as an artist, I know who to go to with my questions and who to bring my fire to. So it's not hitting that intern at the front desk who only has so much understand, not understand, only so much power within the organization as it is. Um, so yeah, I think it's 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 like a it feels like an ecosystem of the arts community. How do we work better together? Um, situation. I don't know. I'm getting more and more like upset about this, <laughs> but also I'm happy to let it go whenever y'all say, but it just feels like often I've found people who have been artists and they get to an admin situation and then they kind of like take on this role, this like this, this power thing that is then like not helping the whole situation. And it's almost like they get the chance to, and I don't know the a listener, but it's just kind of if we're talking about like arts generally, 
and then they're like, oh, I get to be a gatekeeper suddenly. And, and the, the role I think is, it's a really, it's really toxic. That's the end of that thought. Yeah, cause also something I'm thinking about is like with arts administration, yes, I've done a lot of art administration. And I think it's also goes to Christine's point in that like, uh, when you're in an art admin role, sometimes you are actually perpetuating harmful acts. And that what sounds like to me needs to happen is that there needs to be artists first and not product first. And that means like if you bring an artist into the space, you have to actually have a space that is um, hospitable to them and the work that you are inviting them to come in and create. And that when, and you know what I mean? Cause like artists actually really should not have to, like they're, you're right, there needs to be a transparency and artists should not have to do the extra work to have to ask you 10 things 10 times or, or ask you something when you actually have no um, authority or whatever to get the thing done. But I, I also feel like, yeah, it sounds to me like there needs to be artists first and not product first. And maybe that would support a different type of relationship. Um, yeah. Yeah, I see that too. I see that too. Hey, thank you so much for the listener letter, Geraldine McNash. I'm going to have so much fun coming up with these names. Honestly, Geraldine is just one of my favorite names to give to somebody. It's a very particular lady, a Geraldine. Um, but thank you for, so much uh, for sending your question in. And if you have questions and things and topics deposit for us, um, as this listener did, please send them to um, the Dance Union or send it to our email at the Dance Union podcast at gmail.com. I'll spell it out one word. Um, all right, let's uh, get into wrapping this thing on up. Do you have any church announcements? What I got going on? Anybody want to let the people know what you're doing, what's going on? And it can just be nothing like I'm resting. Because <laughs> that's what I'm about to do. I'm cleaning and resting. This is Melanie. I'm teaching at Perry Dance on Tuesdays and Gibney on Wednesdays. Emergent improvisation. I have a performance on Saturday, November 14th. I think is the Saturday date. Yeah. Um, it'll be on my live and the 1708 galleries live. Follow me on Instagram for more information. It'll be in the description box wherever you're watching, listening. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yes, Christine and Troy, can you send me um, links of things so I can make sure in the description box for your class and for the performance? <laughs> Jeremy, you got things? Are you good? Okay, Jeremy's good. <laughs> um, I got nothing. Jeremy's divesting from whiteness. <laughs> Make that divestment for sure. Um, okay, thank y'all so much for listening to another episode of the Dance Union Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram um, and Facebook at the Dance Union, one word, as well as uh, we have a website. So go to thedanceunion.com where you can also send some messages to us. We got this listener letter from there as well. So just another spot to hit us up and let us know what you got going on or what you would like for us to talk about. Um, we have our dance union has and our five, six, seven, eight, we out. So what did y'all dance union have today? My dance union has fully supported rest. 
practices. This is Melanie. My Dance Union, this is Troy. My Dance Union has single payer healthcare. Uh, this is Jeremy. Our dance union has joy. Um, this is Jay. My dance union has um, crap. Where was it? It was right there. Oh, my dance union has a um, has a has a has a fire for grassroots organizing. Like it's just it's just there. My dance union has back pillows and leg pillows and neck pillows for to support any sort of configurations of the body. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I need that. All right, y'all. Um, let's get up on out of here so we can get to some resting and some good good. Uh, five, six, seven, eight. We are we are we are Let them feed your head with wisdom that ain't from this day in this time. We are searching and seeking the wisdom that ain't from this day in this time. We are essentially groping to grasp the epistemological framework and paradigm that centers us in the universe. from this day in this time.